I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Hey everybody, so this episode I'm going to specifically focus on some things I saw, heard, learnt, experienced, smelt at the recent Tech Chill event in Riga, Latvia. It was great to get back into the Baltics. I always find the Baltics to be an extremely energetic, enthusiastic place for startups and all things related to startups. So it's always wonderful to get back there and, and soak up some of that energy. And this event was Tech Chill, not the first time it's run. I think it's been running for a few years. Uh, previously, I've been to other events in Riga, but not Tech, tech Chill. It sort of is similar to a lot of other startup events around the region, things like Slush, things like Arctic 15, uh, and a, a couple of others whose names I can't quite remember, all around that region. I guess it's also similar to a lot of probably larger events that happen in uh, Central Europe and uh, Western Europe as well. Um, things like uh, Tech Open Air here in Berlin, although it's a little more random Tech Open Air, to be honest with you. And I guess the, the, the big one of them all is Web Summit over in Lisbon. But this similar vibe, lots of startup pitching, lots of kind of focus on fundraising and the, the running of startups. So for someone like me, I don't always... I get uh, it's not always all completely relevant to what I'm interested in covering but there's enough there to to find something of interest to me and to you dear listeners and so in this episode I'm going to go through some of the people I met some of my highlights some of which will become some future episodes as well actually so first mapon mapon are a company that actually are part of a portfolio of companies, the Draugheim Group. We visited their offices first on a little uh, media trip, a very fun media trip, in fact, um, where there was some some beer already at 3pm. Always very civilised, always great to see, and some cider, and some non-alcoholic options, of course. Um, but... Uh, Strangely, our first visit with Mapon, who do fleet management, uh, basically of large-scale vehicle rollouts. So people who are running taxi companies, logistics companies, etc., etc., corporate vehicles, that kind of thing. But they were testing a breathalyzer system that uh, wouldn't let the driver drive if they were over a certain limit. Um, so <laughs> we tried this when we first arrived. And uh, I, I didn't try it because I don't have a driving license, which, I mean, the vehicle wasn't going anywhere, but still. Um, and then, so someone else tried it, and it didn't quite pick up on their them being over the limit yet, and even though they possibly were. And we came back a little later, and it still wasn't picking them up. But uh, still, sometimes everyone's body is different, and uh, everyone processes alcohol differently. Um, but then we... We, we we did see some others who, who <laughs> anyway, yes, I don't know what to get into the habits of journalists, but uh, it did trigger some people and not on some people, but it's still a test device. Uh, and I guess this could be, be customized to also match other substances that may or may not be legal on a driver's breath in certain countries and territories. And thus, 
locking them out of being able to drive a vehicle. Um, I have some photos. Let me have a look of seeing quite how it connects up to the, the ignition or whatever it may be. And it effectively overrides the ignition. So if you get a positive, um, positive reading in this case, you can't start the vehicle. Um, and if obviously this also then triggers a notification to the fleet manager who has to do something because, you know, it can take a while to come under the limit and a driver, well, a vehicle probably needs to be somewhere so they can then act upon that. This also keeps track of, you know, frequent um, infringements, also how close they are. Maybe they're not over the limit, but they're very close and this happens regularly, which could be problematic and something a fleet manager needs to address, etc., etc. So it feeds into this, uh, this actually something, I don't know why I know this and why I came across this, but this entire solution around tachograms tachographs these you oh i remember when i used to be a musician and we would have a tour bus driver and they could only uh, drive a certain amount of hours before sleep and things like that and they'd have to fill in this tachograph with these details and i think that has expanded now to i mean all sorts of things like a a record of the driver's um suitability to driving i suppose and uh, now a lot of this is digital. Back in those days, it wasn't. It was this weird, like, circular thing they used to fill in. Um, but that feeds into a lot of that, and that is what Drive On, and that is what Map On are doing. And they claim, in fact, that the, the dial is constantly going up over oof, 23,269 20, million kilometers i'm sure there's a better way of saying that but there's too many zeros for me to process there so that will do Uh, and branches all over the world actually Um, not just in europe not just in the states uh, some africa and also some in the middle east and asia as well so this is one of the reasons i always love visiting a lot of these uh, companies in countries like the baltics these small companies in small countries you've never heard of and yet they have this massive global reach on the subject of that, another company we saw also in the same office, also in the Draugheim group, was Vendon. Uh, this is actually something, again, you might have, have seen or witnessed, depending on your workplace or hotel or et cetera, et cetera. And there's a theme here, map on, Vendon. Uh, and also similar, uh, taking metrics, but in this case, vending machines and giving people an overview, giving managers an overview and a platform to set various parameters. So, you know, um, setting a price for hot drinks, cold drinks at a machine and giving people a certain allowance of free drinks, but then charging after a certain amount, having kind of specials, seeing supply levels, all this sorts of sorts of thing. Um, I, I think I have, uh, I think I've really stayed or worked anywhere that had this. Oh, actually, no, I, I think I have in, in some companies. I don't know. I guess I've always been lucky enough to work at companies that were so small they didn't need this, and probably putting it on would seem kind of tight for a company. But you know, this is designed for companies with thousands of workers in one office, where in reality it can become very expensive and very hard to maintain machines that pump out at that scale. You're effectively running a small-scale small coffee shop. Um, and the coffee machines can get overloaded and 
and um, and in need of maintenance quite quickly. I remember this on the lower scale of being in offices with coffee machines that were designed for you know one or two coffees a day, and you get one or two an hour at least, and they break down very quickly. So it's also helpful for predictive maintenance and things like that. Um, and also other sorts of vending machines as well, not just drinks, but um, snacks and et cetera, et cetera. I found it really quite interesting. And again, again, they have, I, I won't mention some of the names just in case they're not allowed to be mentioned, but they um, are partnered uh, and are present in a lot of quite well-known brands, shall we say, uh, some on the 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 consumer side, you know, me in an office, etc. some on the retail side, actually, as well. So not always about charging someone for the individual consumption, but also monitoring what the machines are doing in something like a cafe or in a, in a, in a hotel, that kind of thing. So I found that quite interesting. And I love the way that when we saw the demo, the person was just like live changing values and things like that for different ingredients. Next up, uh, Latvia seems to be super into dropshipping and on-demand startups, shall we say. Uh, I don't know, not being particularly familiar with the the world, with the, the ecosystem, I don't really know if they if they're overrepresentative in that space or if it's something that's very popular there, I'm not sure. But they have a couple of print-on-demand companies. Uh, I didn't actually meet them, but they seem to be one of the most uh, popular ones there, which is Printful. Um, I mean, the fact that if I open up their website, I get directed to a German website, shows you they have spread at least around Europe, sort of print-on-demand. And also actually a, a few others as well. There seem to be enough demand for customers around Europe, around the world, wherever, that there's several companies that do it there. Um, But we actually went to a company that also does on-demand, but something quite different. Uh, Madara, although that first A has an accent. I'm not entirely sure if that pronunciation is correct. This is cosmetics on-demand. It's already print on-demand. I don't know what it is. It's manufacturer on-demand. There we go. That's the the word. and so they make some of their own brands. You might have seen some of them. I'm not sure. Not really my scene. But they also do – this is a recent uh, product launch. They do uh, on-demand. So you can basically pick from a variety of products uh, and then you get your own label applied to them. So this has been popular, say, for corporate gifts, hotels, small-scale, uh, uh, high-quality retail, influencers, etc., etc. And one of the most wonderful merch things I've ever seen was uh, arriving in a meeting room and they had pre-printed a whole bunch of hand cream with all the various media outlets logos on. And I had been suffering from dry skin recently, so this is actually perfect. It was wonderful and it's very nice hand cream as well. I think the biggest problem is going to be when it runs out, I'll want more. Uh, but I actually found it quite interesting. I mean, to be blunt, a lot of uh, merch is always so, always feels so, I don't know, so, it feels so samey and revolves around similar, um, similar kind of things, clothing, just random knickknacks, things like that. And whilst I imagine white-labeled cosmetics is not a cheap bit of merchandise, it's a very thoughtful, nice, different one. Maybe more inclusive too. I'm even considering maybe looking into doing some of my own. 
Uh, I don't know. I like the idea. <laughs> I'm not sure if anyone would buy it, but I like the idea. I'm willing to to investigate. Now, uh, fitting a little bit in, actually, they were part of the same um, pitch session, is a company that specializes in, I guess, connecting a lot of these drop shipping on-demand uh, companies and providers. This is Cell.xyz. And they had these very wonderful hoodies of <laughs> Cell, which looked a little bit... Uh, a bit cult-like, but it was quite cool. Good branding, anyway. Um, so you could do all sorts of things here. They have supplements, cosmetics, apparel, uh, coffee. Um, what else, really? Uh, yeah, all sorts of things. I think, basically, if you want to brand something, they will help you do that. Uh, at the moment, it's mostly connecting you. Um, although also with some of the, depending on the provider, there could be uh, like a graphical asset upload type process as well. But it really depends on the provider because that depends on what you want. But again, I really like the idea. I, I have tried merchandise before. I have never really pushed it very hard. I did a few years ago and then kind of just forgot about it, to be honest with you. Um, I just made some T-shirts and often the, the shipping, because a lot of these have always traditionally been US-based companies, kind of make the, the price a little bit, um, I don't know, unreasonable. I, I don't, I'm not sure if I would buy a T-shirt of someone like me at the prices uh, some of these websites uh, put them out at. Um, obviously, with drop shipping, it's a little different. You then sort of sell it on yourself, that kind of thing. You take the risk. Uh, although with print on demand, it's, it's you know you take the balancing act yourself of what works for you and and your your fan base. But I might try some of these things. I'd be interested to try different merchandise actually. So I was pleased to be exposed to this this sort of world and what I might be able to do with it. Next, we moved over to Lightspace 3D, an optical reality. Although I think they called it augmented reality, though I quite like optical reality. Headset for operating room and high-end operations. High-end meaning, shall we say, high-impact, necessary high-quality visual augmentation. Uh, so medical, also military, um, and very relevantly, this is this is sort of where I heard about this uh, last week. I covered how Hololens is being paused somewhat with the American military rollout because it's not good enough yet. Um, but uh, Lightspace have been trialing their devices with other militaries, and well, we'll see what success they have. Uh, they were demonstrating um, one with us. We we tried a, a prototype. For aimed at uh, surgery, so we saw uh, a floating heart. Uh, that's basically, I guess, it represents the the output of an MRI scan. Of, of some, I'm not a medical person, but some sort of scan that gives the doctor more information in a, an all round uh, rendering of an organ of the inside of a patient's body, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm still not 100 percent convinced by this kind of stuff, but I have no real use for it. I don't know. I just I think as a glasses wearer, I just I don't know. I find just things kind of uncomfortable. Uh, I'm still undecided about whether I like them or not. But the device was very good. Um, I heard the laptop powering the renders steaming away in the background, and uh, we all tried it. And um, I think many others who were more experienced with this were much more impressed than me. 
I wasn't, yeah, just uh, not my thing. <laughs> uh, you could have a look at their website, lightspace3d.com. There's not too much there. I think there's a lot of it is, is uh, actually the, the history of the company was quite interesting. They've been trying various ways of, shall we say, rendering graphics in an augmented way for some time. Uh, and hardware is expensive. So, you know, it, it's, it's hard to keep it going. And they seem to finally be getting towards a product that they're satisfied with and has a market as well. And maybe the market is ready as well. Yeah, so they actually started in 2016 with a volumetric true 3D display, kind of like a, it's like a small TV screen with the, the thing rendered in it. And then they've gone on from there. So for some time, bootstrapping themselves as they go, and now they're starting to get success with uh, this new um, optical reality headset. I really like that, optical reality. I like that as a term. I don't know why people don't use that more. It's actually more accurate as a term. Bravo, bravo. And then finally, the day ended at the very plush offices of Gravity Team. It took a little bit of digging for me to understand quite what Gravity Team are. Uh, they're actually traders, although I'm still confused because their website um, kind of says different things from what I heard, but they're crypto traders. Um, but as far as I understand, they basically are, it's, it's sort of like if you would approach a broker for the traditional stock market or use, um, uh, I think, uh, ETF, I think, platform for trading on the stock market, they're kind of doing an equivalent they don't necessarily explicitly run anything you would access at this point in time, um, but they will trade on your behalf on exchanges, etc., uh, etc. Et that's that's what I understand anyway. But uh, they are trying to in reinvest a lot of the profits they make into uh, portfolio projects, which starts to remind me of a company I used to work for, Consensus, which was uh, started by... Uh, an Ethereum co-creator, co-founder, who used their money. Joe, Joe, I'm having a blank on the guy's name. But anyway, uh, who who equally did a lot of uh, similar things. He used some of the money he made with Ethereum to invest in various portfolio companies. And not always very successful, but he was uh, also a lot earlier, I think, with um, in, in, the, in that kind of world as well. So, yeah. Interesting, their offices were fantastic. They had a, a very nice uh, bar, uh, fantastic views, this epic um, tower that overlooked the city. It was a very wonderful end to quite a wonderful day. So let's fast forward to the conference itself. I was only there for one day, unfortunately, because of travel issues um berlin airport is still very disconnected riga is a small place so the two of them combined options are limited so i could only leave on certain days some of the talks and things that attracted my attention first was a very good uh, presentation from riga tech girls uh, i always like to see how people are upskilling and how people are learning to adapt and 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 uh, t um, benefiting from the kind of tech and startup ecosystem. They seem like a very active group, actually. They run a lot of events. They run a lot of teaching programs. They have a lot of partnerships around the region. 
and it was really, really good to see some of some of what they've done. Uh, JavaScript tutorials, uh, mentoring, helping people get jobs, and then continuing afterwards as well. I think that's possibly almost somewhat more crucial sometimes. Uh, you know, once you've done the training program, then what? Uh, and how do you help people? And how they leverage a lot of local talent into helping people learn transferable industry standard skills. And that was, yeah, really good to see. I'm always, uh, yeah, I always like to, to hear about programs from that. And um, there was a quote that I really liked from on one of the slides. This is it. This is something that's often bothered me slightly when we hear about younger people, especially being tech savvy. And you wonder, are they really tech savvy? Knowing how to use Facebook or play games or et cetera, is that tech savvy? And the slide was the need to, the need to turn IT consumers into creators and the, the, the transition there. And I found that actually a very interesting quote. Um, this, uh, this aspect that is sometimes lost with modern computing where you can't service things anymore, you can't get under the hood, you can't tweak, and that's good in some ways, but it's, it's also useful for people to understand these things that they're using. And uh, I found that a very inspiring message, actually. Another company that interested me, and I think this is going to be a separate interview at some point in the near future, Nordigen, uh, part of one of these uh, numerous companies popping up in Europe with the advent of open banking and PSD2, um, but something that actually kind of lets you do your own thing. There's a lot of companies like SaltEdge that do this for you. So I have a, an accounting application, for example, that pulls in bank feeds. But I can't do very much if something goes wrong or something changes because I have no access to the, to the code there. And this effectively lets me build my own integrations um, with the open banking APIs they support, and they support quite a lot. Uh, 2,353 and that's mostly in Europe. It's actually kind of amazing there's even that many banks in Europe. But there are. In fact, there's more than that. Um, and, of course, not just someone like me, a hobbyist. A hobbyist doesn't make a company like Nordigen Money, um, but also for people building similar integrations into business applications, into intelligence applications, etc., etc. Uh, they are just about to launch a no-code option. So most of this is obviously with APIs. And I think that is something we're going to talk about on a forthcoming episode, actually, and get a demo of that. So I'll save a bit more detail on that discussion for a later episode. But take a look in the meantime if you're interested. And then finally, I think something that really dominated the floor for me was this B Triton. <laughs> Got to look this up, btriton.com. Um, <laughs> it's a boat. It's a bike. It's a tent. Well, not a tent, like a hard shell camping thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's bright blue. It's quite large. It looks pretty impressive. I honestly don't know which countries would allow this on the roads and wherever else it goes. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I think it looks wonderful. Uh, more, more of these crazy things. I just listened to a podcast about the uh, Sinclair um, C5, this sort of prototype, way ahead of its time electric uh, vehicle from um, Clive Sinclair. Um, and 
yeah, sometimes people have to have crazy ideas to to push things along. And yeah, I loved this. <laughs> I love this as an idea. I don't know if I'd buy one, but I wish them every success. And um, I love it as a concept. I think it's open for pre-order. So if that fascinates you, then then yeah, definitely take a look. Wrapping up, kind of not talking about specific companies, I, I hung out, obviously, you know, I'm going to cover topics that are interested to me. I only attended talks that are interesting to me. I'm not so interested in fundraising, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of nice uh, topics and panels and talks about sustainability in startups and founders. And this is everything from sustainability in the environmental sense, but also sustainability in the emotional sense um, and in the business sense and in the employer sense. And I really liked this emphasis on that. I think this um, this uh, this need to move beyond and onwards from just about money and bringing businesses into something else as well beyond that. And I like that angle. So uh, some of the talks I saw were sustainable since day one, embedding ESG, uh, environmental sustainability goals, I guess, into high growth business from a few different um, speakers there. Uh, there was a lot of topics on um, health tech, including, uh, yeah, there was a, um, a, a talk about uh, connections between teams in a remote environment, which I found interesting. And there was also um, an actual, I don't seem to have taken a photo, so I can't remember now, a psychiatrist or psychologist also gave an interview session with... Um, with uh, recommendations and, and things like that too. So it was really nice to see all those uh, different uh, topics discussed. So, yeah, that was a uh, tech chill and a very brief trip back to Riga. As I say, I couldn't stay so long, but what I saw was great. Um, I will probably turn this into a written piece sometime soon and do some follow-up interviews with some of the companies I mentioned. Um, but I hope you found that interesting. You can check show notes for any links to any of the companies. And I highly recommend you uh, visit the Baltics, as always. I always uh, promote the uh, outer reaches of Eastern Europe as some of the, the best places for startup activity. So thank you very much for joining me, everybody. See you next week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing games, work and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind the scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work. <laughs>